and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. We finally come now to the end of this letter of First Peter. And now in the closing paragraph, uh, what we're going to see is that, that Peter brings together the whole of this book into a single concise summary uh, sentence. He closes it with this phrase. We read it in verse uh, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. What I want to argue this morning is that that really is the, the theme of the whole letter, of all that we have seen up to this point. Uh, that is the message of First Peter. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. We've been reminded often that Peter has written this letter to scattered, persecuted Christians. That's how he opens the letter to, to, to the exiles in dispersion. Uh, Christians who were suffering for their faith, suffering in some cases greatly, whether it be the loss of their job, expulsion from, from the trade guilds, expulsion, of course, from the Jewish synagogues and community, sometimes the loss of their homes, uh, and in some cases, even threats to their very lives. Uh, and throughout this letter, what Peter has been urging these Christians to see is the mighty hand of God over them. Uh, to see that, that their suffering is coming from the hand of God. Now what's meant by that when he speaks of the, the hand of God, uh, it's a way of speaking of God's providence. It's a recognition that, that all things, both the easy things in your life, the joyful and good things in your life, as well as the hard things in your life, the trials, the sufferings are coming from your God, who's give them, given them to you to accomplish His purposes through them, uh, in you, and also through you. It's a basic Christian conviction, but it's a powerful one when it takes hold of our life. This is coming. All things are coming from the hand of God. All that I'm going through, all that I am suffering, all that I have either received or lost, is from the hand of God. God who is uh, not just sovereign and, and transcendent deity, uh, some idea out there, but no, God who is my Father in Christ. He is the one who gives and who takes away. It's powerful truth when it takes hold of our lives, and it's the truth that Peter, throughout this letter, has really been uh, seeking to impress upon uh, these scattered Christians. Uh, moreover, Peter has also been uh, speaking to us often about the purpose of these trials. So not only the source that they come from God, but also uh, as best as we can, we can tell from our, our human perspective below, Peter has been speaking a lot about the purposes of God through these trials, which for those who belong to Christ, the purpose is always the same, to refine us, to prepare us for glory, to purify us. Uh, we are to recognize that, that there are ways in which our faith has room to grow. There are ways in which our, our faith and our hearts have, have room to be purified, uh, have opportunity to yet grow more pure. Uh, there is, to use the, the uh, language of, of purifying metals, that's the language Peter introduces in chapter 1, there is dross within our hearts that, that can yet be brought to the surface and removed through the heat of these trials. There are areas of sin and 
unbelief uh, in our hearts that God is determined to bring out through our trials to leave us more pure than we were before. Uh, so, uh, so that, as he said back in chapter 1, the, the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is working on your faith. That is God's purpose for you in this world. God's purpose through the sufferings that he gives you in this world to work on your faith, to leave you more pure, more holy than you started. Uh, And what that means for us then, as Peter now draws us to a conclusion, what that means for us is uh, there's nothing better that we can do than to humble ourselves under his mighty hand, trusting that in his time, in his way, be it perhaps at the end of our lives, he will exalt us. If God has deemed it good for us to suffer, in other words, it's because he sees areas in us that have need of further growth. There are areas in need of further purification, and the best thing we can do is humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And so that's really what this whole letter has has been about. Uh, How to humble ourselves under the hand of God in the midst of our sufferings, uh, to not only endure our sufferings and get through them, but to even grow in our sufferings, uh, to use them uh, to to let our faith grow and our faith shine in, in this world, that the world might see the glory of Christ within us. In chapter 3 in particular, Peter really went through some of the specifics of what that looks like in in practice. Uh, Some of the specific sufferings that were endured by the Christians to whom he was writing. If you remember, uh, he wrote to uh, slaves, I believe this was chapter 2, wrote to slaves who who, uh, served sometimes unfair, sometimes harsh, sometimes even cruel masters. There was no escape from that slavery. There was no getting out of it. So Peter's message to them was, allow God to refine you through this. Yes, even this is from the hand of God. He wrote as well to wives, wives who are married to unjust or unloving, unsympathetic husbands. Uh, In this case, to unbelieving husbands. Uh, there, there, There may not be an escape there. Uh, And yet his encouragement to them was the same. This is where God has placed you to refine you, to grow you. Let your faith shine there uh, and God will strengthen you for that. Uh, He wrote as well to to husbands uh, to to love their wives. This is is God's calling that he has given you. Uh, As you carry it out, your faith will grow. You will mature. Uh, so, So... and we saw this also in, in, in chapter 4 as, as the church as a whole uh, was enduring some mistreatment. Uh, and once again, Peter's calling to them is the same. Do not return, I believe this is chapter 3, verse 9, do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but instead bless because this is what Christ did for you. Uh, as he endured suffering, as he endured mistreatment, he responded with blessing. And so what's the Christian to do uh, in a life that is full of trials, in a life that is full of suffering? What is the Christian to do? Peter does not say, as perhaps our culture uh, might disciple us to do, Peter does not say, you need to rise up. 
You need to fight back. You need to, to, to assert yourself. Rather, he says, no, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is coming to you from God. Uh, and that's then what this, this whole letter has been about. These sufferings, these trials, they're not by accident. They may come through the hands of sinners, through the actions of unjust people, but they have an ultimate source, which is from the hand of God, who's working them in you for good. So do not resist Him. Uh, instead, receive those trials as He gives them to you, uh, as trials given to you by, by God. Humble yourselves then under his mighty hand so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Uh, what we're seeing and what Peter has made crystal clear for us is uh, this calling uh, is not something that we are, we are to do for the first time. It's something that we are to imitate Christ in doing. Christ who humbled himself in an unfair world to, to unjust people, to even the lowest point, death, uh, an undignified death on the cross. Uh, in that moment is when Christ's dignity indeed shines out. Uh, when Christ looked for a moment to be the most undignified of all men, it was there on the cross that you see he is the most dignified, the one who's obeying God, who's fulfilling his calling as God has placed it uh, upon him, uh, and, and God exalted him at the proper time. That's the path that he now then calls us to walk in as well. Uh, we've also seen over and over one of the resounding themes that you see in the letter of, of 1 Peter, uh, the importance of living as God's children in this world. Uh, in Christ, uh, he said right towards the beginning, in Christ you've been chosen, you've been set apart, you've been adopted as God's children, and with that comes a calling to live as God's children in this world, children who look like their father. So again, what does that, what does that look like in practice? It means, chapter 3, verse 9, not returning good for... Uh, uh, not returning evil for evil, but instead returning good. Why? Because that's the heart of your father. That's what your father did for you. It means being willing to endure mistreatment for Christ's sake. Why? Because that's what Christ himself did. Chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, it means for, for wives, pursuing the inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, because uh, Why? Because it is God who, who has made you that way, and it is, it is that disposition that is a reflection of the heart of your Father, who is wise, who is good, uh, who seeks peace uh, in, in a world uh, that, is his, that, that, that is full of his en enemies. It means as a husband, loving your wife, showing her honor as an heir of the grace of life. Why? Because that's what Christ did for his bride. Uh, it means for slaves, uh, not revolting against the system, uh, even though it was a terribly unjust system, but instead embracing God's calling within that system uh, during the short years of their, uh, of their life to serve those uh, who were above them as if serving the Lord. Why? Because that's how the Lord, how Christ, served you uh, and obeyed the Father. 
Uh, it means for elders. Uh, what does humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God look like? For elders, uh, it means accepting and obeying the calling that God has given you as an elder to shepherd uh, God's people. Why? Because that's the kind of shepherd and overseer, as we saw last time, that Christ himself is for you. Uh, and it means uh, for, for all of us who are under the authority of shepherds, uh, being subject to them, showing them honor. Why? Because that's how Christ also was in this earth, obeying the Father in all that he was called to do. And so if we, if we take all of these together, we can see that the big idea in this letter uh, is humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, under God's providence, uh, precisely because it's God who placed us there and because by doing so, we have the opportunity to reflect our Father, to be His children within this world. Now, I want to emphasize how, how totally, radically countercultural that message is, particularly in our culture in, in North America. Now, here in North America, we place a huge emphasis on our rights, on equality, uh, on, uh, on defending the underprivileged or the marginalized, uh, those, those who are uh, disadvantaged. And there's something good about that. We want to, as a culture, we want to be conscious of uh, are there people that are marginalized or disadvantaged or underprivileged? And, and how can we correct uh, systemic injustices if, if they are indeed there? Uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with, with that, as a, with that as, a, as a priority. Uh, if we as a nation have shown partiality towards, towards certain people or certain groups, we want to we deal with that. Uh, even more so in the church. That's one of the commands that, that the Bible gives to the church, to, to not show partiality because God does not uh, show partiality. However, what Peter has been, been driving home to us that hopefully has, has taken root within us uh, is that in this world, we live in an unfair world. Uh, we, we should not assume that our Christian faith only needs to come into practice once life is fair. Because life is not fair, and you will not be treated fairly. Do you have a higher priority than insisting that you are treated fairly? Well, for, for Peter, what he's been emphasizing to the churches uh, under persecution, under the cross, is although it's not fair, uh, God has given you a calling to shine in a world that, that will see uh, the, the faith that Christ has given you. Our primary calling in this world is not to make sure that my rights are upheld, that my, uh, my equality is on par uh, with, with everyone else. Uh, my primary calling in this world is with Christ to go low, to go low as Christ went low, that God might exalt me at the proper time. And it doesn't come natural to us. We're, we're very quick, particularly in our culture, uh, to point out when things are not fair. Uh, and perhaps we even assume as Christians that uh, if life's not fair or if people aren't treating me fairly, then the gospel calling doesn't apply anymore. Uh, then, it, then I don't have to uh, be like Christ because uh, I just need to make sure things are fair. And once things are fair, then, then I can be, be called to be uh, like Christ. Well, that's not the message of Peter. It's this isn't fair. This world is unfair. Uh, but that's the world God has placed you in and in which God calls you to follow Christ. 
How does your Christian faith then apply when life is not fair? Well, here's where we do well uh, to remember uh, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world and indeed through other parts of history uh, who, who have endured mistreatment well. And this is something Peter himself uh, now in our text uh, reminds us of. Uh, he says, remember, the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Uh, this, this kind of suffering, it's not a bug in the Christian life. It's a feature of, of the Christian life. If we're tempted to, to, to get upset because our, our rights are not being upheld or our voice isn't being heard uh, or we're not being uh, fairly protected, we do well to remember uh, that our brothers and sisters in places like China or North Korea or Somalia or in other parts of history uh, have experienced the same kinds of suffering. Uh, indeed, uh, in many cases, they don't even expect to receive fair treatment. And they're not looking for that as the primary answer to their sufferings. If there's opportunity to to be protected, you pursue that. You see Paul doing that as well. When Paul was uh, unfairly treated by the the authorities, what did Paul do? He appealed to Caesar. He had rights and he he used those rights. And yet, in the the whole of Paul's life, uh, he endured imprisonment. He endured unjust beatings. He endured shipwrecks. He endured much suffering uh, and saw that as part of the Christian calling, uh, an opportunity to exalt Christ in his sufferings. And we want to make sure that that's our priority as well. Does our, our Christian faith extend to those circumstances where life is not fair? Uh, do we have a, a higher perspective that encompasses uh, those situations, which we all will experience to some degree, when, when life is not fair? Uh, and perhaps life is particularly unfair towards Christians, as it often can be. Well, that's what this, letter's, uh, what this letter has been all about. It's recognizing at the end of the day, these unfair circumstances are not just the result of, of the devil. They're not just the result of, of a hostile world. Uh, but above them and behind them, they're the result of, uh, of the giving of the sovereign hand of God. God has put you in a situation that is not fair. Uh, but God has placed you there. God who is good. God whose hand is mighty. Uh, and God who will also exalt you at the proper time. God who put Christ in a situation that was unfair. Does your Christian faith then account for the unfair of life? Well, the way that, the way that we respond when mistreated really shows uh, whether we've taken that to heart. Uh, if our Christian faith only applies uh, when we think we're being treated fairly, uh, and then we say, then I will do what God is calling me to do, as long as everyone else is doing it too. Uh, but, but if they're not, then we respond in kind. We respond in, uh, in, in anger or in insults or attacks or bitterness. Uh, then we've really m- missed the point that Peter's been, been driving home. You know, it, to, to make it practical, if, if someone comes to you and, and speaks to you about, about your anger or your bitterness, uh, and your immediate response is to say, yeah, but they, or yeah, but he, or yeah, but she did this or that, you're missing the point. Because God is not speaking to you about what they are doing. God is speaking to you about you. Uh, how are you 
responding uh, when mistreated because you will in this life be mistreated. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time and the proper way. Nothing that is happening to you is happening by chance. It is given to you by God for your good to refine you, to prepare you for glory, to teach you, disciple you in the way of Christ. Now, this is all the more true, as Peter has often been reminding us, uh, in light of the fact that we ourselves were once God's enemies. We ourselves were once the perpetrators of injustice. Uh, We ourselves were, were at first the ones who were shown God's unmerited grace. It's what he said in chapter 3. Christ also suffered once for all the righteous for the unrighteous. That's you. That's that's me. Uh, In order to bring us to God. So here's another great theme we've seen in, in 1 Peter. The one who humbles himself under the hand of God recognizes, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve uh, this, this amazing calling to be a child of God. Uh, all my rights, all my entitlements aside, I don't deserve anything but God's judgment. So if God, has, if God would give me what I deserve, I would be in hell. I would be under God's wrath. Uh, so then in the first place, humbling myself under the mighty hand of God uh, means, means recognizing uh, I have been shown grace upon grace, notwithstanding whatever I endure in this world, I am an heir of God's grace. And so I will endure injustice. I will uh, respond with good because that's what God has first done for me. Now, Peter knows, Peter knows that as, he, uh, as he's writing this letter and he's uh, giving a very hard message, it's hard to take that to heart, especially when you are being mistreated, when life isn't fair. Uh, Peter knows all too well how hard that can be. Uh, but what he wants us to see is that there's, there's unbelievable joy to be found there in that place of submission to God. Uh, because as we've been reminded already, God uh, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's near to the humble. He is father to the meek. Uh, and so they get to, uh, the, those who humble themselves under his hand, they get to make their appeal to him, and he is going to be the ultimate defender of their cause. Uh, so, so humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God does not just mean toughing it out. It doesn't just mean enduring it uh, as long as it has to last and then uh, knowing that eventually God will get you through it and out of it. Uh, it's, not just, it's not just enduring it. It is crying out to him. It is making your plea and your case before him. Uh, so uh, that's how Peter continues this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties upon him because here's the good news. He cares for you. Are the children of God who, who have the privilege of living as God's children in this world, uh, they have what, what their oppressors do not have. They have the ear of God, the attention of their father who cares for his children. He cares for his children in a unique way that does not apply to the rest of the world. And so they get to know, my father will plead my case. My father will defend my cause. My father hears my prayers. His ears, though deaf to the proud, his ears are open 
to the prayer of the humble. That's what Peter reminded us about back in chapter 2. His face is against those who do evil, but his ears are open to the cry of the righteous. Now, I do want to stop here and and address maybe a theological question that that may have come up over the course of our our time in 1 Peter. Uh, Peter has a lot to say about about being righteous um, and about uh, about, uh, how God's ears open to uh, the righteous. And we might ask, well, how does does that even fit with the gospel message uh, that declares that none of us are are righteous? You know, you might, someone might accuse Peter of teaching a sort of works righteousness. If you do this, if you uh, follow Christ, then you're righteous, uh, and and then God's ear will be open to your prayer. And it almost sounds like we got to earn something here to, to, to be heard and loved by God. Well, there's truth. To that, to that concern, isn't there? That none of us are, are, are righteous. Who among us can say that, that I, am, I am truly righteous in myself? I don't have sins that, that I struggle with. I don't, I don't share any part in the unrighteousness of this world. Not, not one of us can, can truly say that. It's not as though Peter didn't know that either. And that's why our righteousness, uh, as Peter has driven home to us uh, time and time again, our righteousness is not in us it's in Christ. Again, chapter 3, verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Or chapter 2, verse 25, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So, we should not mistake Peter here. We should not think that he's laboring under this, this uh, delusion that, that there are good people and bad people, and, and, and we are among the good people. Uh, as if God, God loves the good people, God hates the bad. We know better than that. Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should, should count iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? It's not that Peter didn't understand this. Uh, but that, that's exactly why this letter began the way that it did. All the way back in verses 1 and 2, Peter is writing to whom? To the elect, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the knowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's how he opened this letter. Now, Peter is not laboring under this idea of, of good people and bad people, uh, but it's about God's grace in choosing those who were sinners, uh, choosing them before the foundation of the world, covering them in the blood of Christ, giving them His Spirit to sanctify them, to teach them to believe and obey Him. It's not that they are righteous in themselves. What Peter has said from, from the very beginning is, is they are righteous in Christ. And it's in Christ that, that because you are righteous in Christ, God, God's ear is open to your prayer. Not because you're one of the good people and, and the others are, are the bad people, but because you are in Christ. And so God listens to you as his child. Uh, from, from that vantage point then, uh, we who are heirs of God's grace have the privilege of being able to call upon God as our Father with a sort of boldness, the boldness of children who know that their Father hears them and loves them. Uh, he, he, he listens to their cry. And we want to understand that's grace all the way through. 
It's grace in God choosing us. It's grace in God uh, sanctifying us with the Spirit. It's grace in God covering us uh, by His blood. Grace in God bringing us near. And grace in God then hearing our, our prayers. Uh, we know that this is not a righteousness we possess in ourselves, uh, but we cry out to God because we're righteous in Christ. And, and for that reason, I think for myself, one of the, the greatest benefits or blessings that I've taken out of this letter of, of Peter uh, is a deeper appreciation of, of the Psalms. In this letter, we've seen that Peter spent a lot of time in the Psalms. He's quoted from a good number of, of the Psalms. Psalm 118, he spent a, a good chunk of time with uh, in the beginning of, of the letter. Psalm 34, Psalm 37, Psalm 69, all these Psalms that, that Peter has uh, quoted. Uh, Peter's teaching us how to sing the Psalms. Uh, and and it's, it's this very feature that, that we are righteous in Christ that really comes out in, in the Psalms, we can really say in Christ, uh, as the Psalms say, Oh God, defend me in my righteousness. Oh God, plead my righteous cause. We can do that and we can sing that without any sort of delusion or, or pretentiousness, believing ourselves to be more righteous than we truly are. We can sing those songs because we know that we're righteous in Christ. This is why you even see this in, in some of the psalms themselves, where, where many of the psalms uh, hold together two things that almost seem contradictory, uh, where, where the psalm says on the one hand, uh, to, crying out to the Lord, Lord, defend me in my righteousness. And on the other hand saying, but Lord, you, you know my sins. You know uh, where I have transgressed against you. You might say, oh, how, how can those two things even belong in the same psalm? Because the psalm writers, led by the Spirit, understood my righteousness is not in myself. Uh, the psalm writers understood, even working from, from uh, the, the sacrificial system that they operated with, uh, knowing only the tabernacle or the temple, yet they understood uh, what that system declared as it pointed forward to Christ. You're not righteous in yourself. You're righteous in the blood of the Lamb. In Him, you are clean. In Him, you are pure. And from that place, you can cry out to God, God, defend me in my righteousness. God, uphold my just cause. And so this, this letter of Peter teaches us also how to humble ourselves under God in this respect. Uh, it teaches us how to confess our sins, to be righteous in Christ, and, and to know the joy uh, that is possessed by those who are righteous in Christ, a joy that knows God will defend me and uphold my cause because I am clean in Christ. Uh, one more thing here. Uh, humbling ourselves under the hand of God also means acknowledging our own sins and weaknesses and forsaking those sins and pursuing obedience. This has been a, a big theme in, in the letter uh, of Peter, how, how we allow God to, to confront our sins and lead us towards maturity. Uh, again, back in, in, in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Humbling ourselves under the hand of God 
does not just mean enduring our trials or enduring opposition, but allowing God to shape us and refine us through those trials, which means uh, for us, uh, in some measure, forsaking sin, pursuing obedience, knowing we're not there yet. There are sins that need dealing with still. Uh, we, we have not reached the finish line yet. Uh, through these trials, God is teaching us more and more how to forsake sin uh, and to live in obedience. And it's a process that we need to go through. Uh, these trials, whenever we endure trials in this life, uh, they, they put our faith to the test. They challenge what most matters to you. Uh, they sometimes reveal attitudes that live within us uh, that we might prefer would not be brought to light. Uh, and so humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God also means allowing him to do his work within us through these trials. Where God is bringing your sins to light, humbling yourself under his hand means I'm not going to hide this. I'm not going to prevent this from being exposed. I'm going to allow it to come to the light so that it might be exposed and then dealt with that God might disciple me to maturity. So what Peter said in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Or as he says as well, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Uh, humbling ourselves under the hand of God uh, means recognizing that, that he is not only the judge of the world, he's also my judge. He's also the one before whom I will have to give account. Now, yes, he does that with tremendous grace to me because of Christ. Uh, but, but we are nonetheless warned, uh, quite often in this letter, we are warned, do not deceive yourselves here. Uh, if Peter says this even to the persecuted church, where he said several times now, if you're suffering, make sure that it's not because of sin. Make sure that your suffering isn't the result of your own sinful doing. If he can say that to the persecuted church, how much more can Peter not say that to us as well? It is possible for us to deceive ourselves here. And so humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand means if there is sin that God is exposing, let it be exposed, let it be dealt with. So what he warns us as well in chapter 2, verse 1, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Don't just uh, go about the Christian life pretending those things aren't there. Peter says actively put them away. Wage war on them. Do not let yourself be deceived concerning them. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11 as well, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. And so humbling ourselves under God's hand means recognizing that those things are there uh, and that they need to be, to be fought against. Uh, the proud refuse to see them. The proud refuse to resist them because they don't even acknowledge them to be there. And so the proud end up having to face God's judgment on the final day where, where there's no grace left because the, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The humble recognize uh, these things living in them. Uh, that's what faith teaches us to do. Uh, and so the humble in this life receive God's help in dealing with these very things. 
Uh, one of the practical ways, one of the ways that looks like practically, as we saw last week, is uh, those who humble themselves under the hand of God receive the shepherding that God gives them through the office bearers that God sets over them. That's, that's one of the tools God gives you to fight against your sin. Humble yourself under him. Uh, so Peter also says now in his closing words, uh, as he said before, be sober-minded, be watchful. Uh, that means acknowledging there are things here that still need uh, dealing with, and I'm going to be sober about them. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, so resist him firm in your faith. Uh, why do we need to be sober-minded and watchful? Because we tend to think that the devil's out there. The devil's doing things out there in the world, and that's where the battle's being uh, waged. That, like, if there's opposition, it's coming from people, uh, coming from the devil through people against me. But what Peter's saying is, no, the, the devil is looking for ways to destroy you. You need to resist him. He's not just out there. He can often be right in here. To humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And now finally, let me finish with a word of God, uh, uh, on God's grace. That too, that too has been present throughout this letter. Uh, from the very first words of this letter, uh, it, it has been a message of God's grace. God is the one who chose us before the foundation of the world. God is the one who set us apart for obedience to Christ by His Spirit and for sprinkling with His blood. God is the one who showed us mercy first. God is the one who made us a people for his own possession, using the language there of, of Exodus 19 as God had called the people out of Israel, saying, you now are a people for my own possession. Peter says that's true of the church. You are a people for God's possession. God is the one who redeemed you from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. God is the one who called you out of darkness to light. Uh, God is the one who, who is the reason uh, for our hope. Uh, God is the one who is the object of, of our faith. Uh, if we endure at all, we endure because we're holding on to the God who's called us to His grace. Uh, God is the one who's brought us back after we were straying like sheep and, and was to us the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Uh, and God is the one who, as we suffer, because He gives us these trials uh, to, to grow and refine us, God is also the one who, as we suffer, listens to our prayers and cares for us even during our sufferings. He's the one who blesses us as we bless, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, he is the one who equips us for service. And so now at the very end of the letter, Peter goes back again to the grace of God. That's in verse 10. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And we don't, this is the beautiful thing in this letter, we don't just humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God because he's, he's the holy judge of the earth or the transcendent almighty deity, uh, though he is. We humble ourselves under him as the one who has called us to his grace in Christ, as the one who has redeemed us and is now in the process of preparing us and refining us for glory. That's what makes the Christian life, with all of its, its sufferings and trials, uh, what makes the Christian life, uh, nonetheless, a life that is uh, a life of inexpressible joy. Isn't that what Peter said in chapter 1, verse 8? A life of 
inexpressible joy and filled with glory. Why? Because God has called us to his grace. Uh, And so we rejoice in the hope that is ours that at the end of it all, when the fires are done, when our faith is refined as God would uh, have it refined, at the end of it all, uh, the, the God who chose us and saved us will also restore us and confirm us and strengthen us and establish us so that when we reach the end, we can reach it uh, and obtain the glory that we're waiting for. And we will. That's the, the, the resounding message of this letter. You will make it to glory. You will reach it. Uh, you will reach that, that end because God is the one who's carrying you there. Through these trials, as he refines you, he's carrying you to that destination. He's the one who's committed to preparing you for glory. You will reach that goal. The day is going to come when we're going to stand before our God and we're going to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The day is going to come when we are going to inherit the earth. And we don't just, the, the beauty of this life, of the Christian life even now, is we don't just anticipate that joy. We don't just live in, in hope of that joy one day coming to fruition. We live as God's children in that joy. Uh, we already now know that joy, that I am God's chosen child in Christ. I've already been called out of darkness into light. I get to know him, and I get to know that he knows me, and he hears my prayers. So brothers and sisters, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Live as his children in this world. Be prepared to endure affliction. Be sober-minded and watchful, and keep your eyes fixed on his grace. He did not call you this far for nothing. Amen.